Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. One of the things that um, I try to be conscious of during holiday time, although I struggle every year, is not to constantly ask Sarah every day, kind of, so what's the plan for today? What's the plan for today? What are we doing? And and I I try not to go down that path, but I pretty much do every single day, every year. Ask, what's the plan for today? What are we doing? Um, I don't know. There's probably other people that are in a similar boat. Uh, No, I've started, look, I've started trying to ask what's for dinner in terms of actually thinking about it earlier and being helpful as, as a husband and as a father, rather than just kind of asking at five minutes before dinner time, assuming that she's put everything together and sorted it all out. But I do often ask, what's the plan for today um, around holidays? And, and I think part of that is, I'm not sure, I feel like I want to make the most of each and every single moment of our holidays. And so I research, look at what the weather is, and then feel like we need to you know, do the right thing at the right time on each day. Because um, you, you don't want to be going to, to brunch for a, for, a, for a morning where it's perfect beach weather. Um, and you don't want to be doing, I don't know, being at the beach when actually the weather or whatever else is going on would be much better suited if you're down at the playground. And, you know, for me, I feel like there has to be a, a reason why we're doing what we're doing when we're doing it. Um, and so brunch is, you know, limited to those kind of overcast mornings. Then you've got the beach time where, I don't know, a really beautiful afternoon, but it has to be on a weekday as opposed to kind of the weekend where the craziness of everyone else showing up at Torquay um, plays out. Trips to the playground, and I don't know why, as I was reflecting on this, I was like, maybe I need to deal with some stuff myself. We've got kind of some, some kind of c- control issues. But I do kind of put different things in different boxes. This is for the hot days. This is for the overcast days. This is how each day plays out. And look, while in some cases maybe it does help us make the most of our of our holiday time, when it comes to our, our spiritual walk and our life with Jesus, I'm not sure that putting things in different boxes and compartmentalizing them, constantly needing a reason to justify what you're doing and why you're doing it, I'm not sure that that necessarily is all that helpful when it comes to our spiritual walk and our walk with Jesus. Always needing to know the plan isn't necessarily helpful when we're walking by faith. In fact, I feel like a lot of those things, always needing a reason, always needing to know the plan, putting things in different boxes, in many ways it can stifle our freedom. It can quench the voice of God and what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And it can hinder our growth and our life in Jesus. Really, it's, it's putting man-made limits, man-made rules and traditions around our life with God, where we feel like we need to understand the reason, we need to understand the plans. And we're putting all of these man-made boxes and rules around our relationship with God. And look, in other words, that's basically saying, It's religion. It's dead religion, putting rules and traditions of man around our relationship with God. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about and talking about this morning. Because we probably all have in different areas and different parts of our lives where we where we think like this or we live like this. And I wonder are the areas in your life, in your walk with God, where perhaps you place limits or boxes around how God should move or how God can move? Are there areas where 
we need to have a reason or we need to know the plan before we step out and obey what God is asking us to do. As I said, we probably all have different parts of our lives where we wrestle with that. And I think religion has been a struggle and a a trap for the human heart for thousands of years. Really, in one way or another, you look out all throughout history and people have been wrestling with putting man-made limits and ideas around their relationship with God. But if we're going to be people who are growing in our relationship with Jesus and living in the freedom that Christ has for us, then we need to go on this journey of continually letting go of religion and moving further into revelation and relationship with God. And so if we want a title for the message this morning, I'm calling it Letting Go of Religion and Leaning into Revelation. Letting go of religion and leaning into revelation. Because I feel like hopefully for each of us individually, but also for us as a church community, this is a really significant year. It's a year of new beginnings, new birth as we begin our journey as Thrive. But as we take these first few steps, I really, you know, one of the prayers in my heart is I don't want to be beginning something or birthing something out of religion, out of man-made ideas and rules and traditions. I want to make sure that we're seeing a new beginning that comes from Revelation. As it says in John 1.13, they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. I love that. I don't want to be a part of a a new beginning or a a new birthing as a result of human passion or planning. I want it to be a birth that comes from God. And that's our prayer for all of us individually as well in our lives, that we would let go of religion and lean into revelation and see God birth fresh purpose, fresh vision, and a new experience of love in our hearts because of our growing revelation of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. And so... I'm going to read a a passage of scripture from 1 Kings chapter 20. If you want to turn there, feel free. You might find it hard if you have the Passion Translation, Chris. I don't think 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 they've translated translated 1 Kings yet. (laughs) 1 Kings 20, verses 22 to 29. And providing some context here, Israel and the Arameans have just walked through one battle. Israel won the battle and then... We pick up in, in 1 Kings 20, 22, where the prophet approaches the king of Israel and says to him, go strengthen yourself and observe and see what you have to do. For at the first of next year, the king of Aram, Syria will come up against you. So in effect, there was one battle, Israel beat the Arameans. And now the prophet comes back to the king of Israel and says, there's going to be another battle. The Arameans are going to come for us again at the beginning of next year. Interesting that it is the beginning of the year. And actually, this next verse, which is going to be our kind of main verse for this morning, is 1 Kings 20, 23. Um, And that's obviously the year that we're not necessarily saying that this is some huge prophetic verse for the year. But I do feel like it's something that speaks into the season that we're in. So 1 Kings 20, 23. And it says, now the servants of the king of Aram said to him. So speaking to the, the king of the Arameans. Israel's God is a God of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. And then the next few verses kind of is explaining the tactics. You know, remove the 32 allied kings each from his place and put captains in their place. We'll fight against them in the plain and surely we shall be stronger than they. Then the sons of Israel were counted and given provisions and they went to meet them. The Israelites camped before the enemy like two little flocks of goats with everything against them except God. And the Arameans filled the country. So there's this 
This battle in place, the Arameans far outnumber the Israelites as the battle takes place. And then in verse, in verse 28, it says, A man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. I will give this great army into your hand, and you shall know by experience that I am the Lord. So they camped opposite each other for seven days. Then on the seventh day, the battle began and the sons of Israel killed 100,000 of the Aramean foot soldiers in a single day. And I'm not sure, maybe this might seem like a bit of an obscure passage, but I actually think there's some, some really great stuff in here. And what I want to do is, is unpack that statement from verse 23. The, the words of the servants of the king of Aram, where they say, Israel's God is a God of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. And we'll see if we can learn a few things that I pray will help us let go of religion and move further into, into revelation. So the first thing that those, those servants say there is that Israel's God is a God of the hills. And as I think about that, I think about you know, the journey of letting go of religion one of the first keys is that we need to be on this journey of letting go of the limits that we've placed around God. They saw Israel's God as a God of the hills only. And they thought that if they fought in the valley, in the plains, that they would win. And it was common in ancient times for people to have localized deities. That was, you had your God of the hills, you had your God of the valleys, you had your God of the ocean, you had your God of love, your God of war. They had different gods for different things in the ancient times back then. And while perhaps it might not be as obvious today, I feel like in many cases that's continued all the way through and we still box God in in different ways and we see him in this space but not in that space or we interact with him differently here than there. Even just looking through history, it shows us that humanity has regularly tried to, to box God in and place limits around him. You know, there was a whole season or a whole group of people in Jesus' time where they were convinced that God was a God of the Old Testament law alone. And they had a really, really difficult time letting go of the limits that they'd placed around God and embracing the revelation of Christ in their midst and the gospel that was there. There was also people then, you know, after Jesus began his ministry and the Holy Spirit poured out, there were the wrestle between, is God just the God of the Jews? Is that the box within which he operates? Or is he actually a God of everyone, including the Gentiles? And it was through people that were willing to let go of their religion, let go of their limits and embrace the Holy Spirit working amongst the Jews and Gentiles that we find ourselves where we are today. There was also even the, the Reformation with Martin Luther. I think there was a group of people who thought that really God was limited just to the educated clergy at the time and he wasn't accessible for the common people. And yet it was Martin Luther who broke that box. And again, now we're all experiencing and able to experience Scripture and all that God has for us. But not only just those examples in history, but isn't there, there's so many other limits that we put on God in different ways in our lives. So many boxes that we try to, to fit him into. Even as simple as God is a God of Sunday, but not my workplace on a Monday. And so we don't necessarily open our hearts up the same way on a Monday as we do on a Sunday because we feel like God's in this box, in this building for these two hours on a Sunday morning. Or God is a God just of certain gifted leaders or who take these particular positions. And so we feel like God isn't going to do for me what he's done for others because I don't have that gift or I don't have that ability. And we put God in 
boxes. Or even God is a God of the wealthy. There's certainly people who have kind of bought into to that box of limitation and either felt like they are you know, particularly anointed for a purpose because of their bank account. Or on the flip side, people feel like God isn't going to use me because I don't have that bank account. And we put boxes and limits around God in that way. Or God is a God of perfect people. And we feel like if we make any mistake, then all of a sudden that discounts us from destiny and purpose and what God wants to do. But the reality is God is a God of extreme grace. And just because we might struggle with this or that, in no way counts us out from what God has for our lives. God is a God of victories. That's almost kind of the the metaphor underneath what the servants of the king of Aram were saying. The God is a God of the hills. He's the God of the victories, the good times. But he's not a God of the valleys. And I wonder whether we have bought into that at some time or another in our lives as well, where we feel like we're really close to God when things are going well, but we struggle to connect with him or we feel like he's not as close when we're walking through something difficult. What limits have you placed around God? What boxes have you tried to put him in? Maybe some of the boxes have actually come from a scenario similar to the Arameans here where they lost the battle against Israel in the hills. And so it was a life experience, a disappointment, something like that that resulted in you putting God in a particular box, putting particular limits around how you interact, how he can move, how he's allowed to move in your life. It reminds me a little bit, I don't know how old Joel was, but um, maybe he was walking through the kitchen and the oven was open or something and we gave him a big talk about fire and heat and things being hot. And then it was probably two or three years after that, he refused to even go into a room where there was a fireplace. Whether it was on or not, he wouldn't even go into the room. And, <laughs> and I kind of feel like sometimes we do the same thing, right? There's, there's something that happens and then we kind of close the door and don't actually allow God into that space again. We, we don't go to that place with God again because of some disappointment, because of something happened, something that someone said, and we close God off and don't allow him to operate in a particular way and put barriers or limits or boxes around how he's able to move because of this experience, that disappointment, whatever it might be. You know, maybe we were praying for, for someone and that prayer seemed to go unanswered. Maybe the person wasn't healed the way that we expected or whatever it might have been. And then all of a sudden we put limits around the way we pray or we put limits around our theology when it comes to healing because of that experience or disappointment. Maybe someone has said something to us in a church setting around the way we pray or the way we worship or the way we hear God. And as a result of that, we've put limits or boxes and shut down different parts of our relationship with God because of what someone else has said to us. But I want to encourage each of us here that God is not a God who's just limited to the hills. He's not a God who's limited to one particular box. He's not a God who's limited to one particular area. Let's not be people who limit God or put boxes around it, but instead let's begin this year walking out a journey where we remove those limits, where we break those boxes, where we lift those lids, where we pull down those barriers and break down those walls. Because God is not just the God of the hills, but he is also a God of the plains. The Arameans were about to find that out. He's also a God of the valleys, the rocks, the ocean, the towns, the cities. He's the God of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's the God of powerful miracles, but also everyday grace. He's the God of schools and workplaces and church buildings and community centers, wherever we might find ourselves. He's the God of universities and family homes, the God of the broken, the hurting, the successful, the sinners, the prodigals, the sick, the healthy, the wealthy, the poor. He's the God of everyone, everywhere. 
And too often we put limits and restrictions around who God is and how he's able to operate. And if we're going to be people who let go of religion and move into revelation, let's leave those limitations behind and believe in the bigness, the power, the glory and the majesty of God in every space and in every way. He's a God of everyone, everywhere. And there's so many different spaces in scripture, I think, where this comes out. But I want to look briefly at Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. That's in the Passion Translation. That's right. <laughs> Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Many of you would have read this many, many times before. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And the response to that first question that Jesus asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And I feel like this is a picture of people putting... God in boxes. John the Baptist, his ministry was about repentance. Elijah was, you know, someone who had a ministry of miracles. And then Jeremiah and the prophets, that ministry of of teaching and, and the prophetic. And what's amazing about each of those responses is, in part, they were right. Jesus was someone who carried the ministry of repentance and salvation. He did carry miracles and releasing the power of God. He did walk in prophecy and had an amazing gift of teaching. But each of those individually was limiting who God was. In actual fact, he was all three of those and more. And too often I wonder whether we look at God in a particular way as well. And we've limited him to, you know, he's the God of whatever it is, fill in the blank. I wonder in your own life if there was, you know, I thought about printing this out, but decided not to, you know. Yeah, God is a God of, and what kind of limits do we put around him if we're filling that sentence out? The Arameans here had God is a God of the hills. But in the context of our own lives, what kind of limitations do we put around him? Here there were some saying that God was a God just of repentance and salvation. God was a God of miracles. God was a God of prophecy or teaching. But actually he's a God of all of those things and so much more. And the big difference between Peter's answer here and the answer of those others was that Peter had heavenly revelation, the revelation from the Father. The others probably had really good reasons around why they thought he might have been, well, I'd say John the Baptist, probably not. I think he was, he was alive at the same time as Jesus. Pretty interesting to think that perhaps Jesus was actually John the Baptist when Jesus was, I don't know, you know, two towns away from John the Baptist at the time or whatever might have been going on. But I'm sure they each had good reasons as to why they thought he was one of those. Maybe they had heard Jesus teach on repentance and baptism. Maybe they had seen some of the miracles that Jesus performed. And so that's why they thought that Jesus was Elijah. Maybe they had heard Jesus teach and some of him speaking into the prophetic and the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm sure they had good reasons around why they thought he was any one of those three. But Peter had revelation from the Father. And that leads us to our second key in letting go of religion. That not only do we need to let go of the limits and the boxes that we put around God. But we also need to let go of our need to always have reasons. 
letting go of our need for reasons. If we go back to 1 Kings 20.23, the next thing that the servants of the king of Aram say, right? They say, Israel's God is the God of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we. There was this kind of need to have a reason for what played out in the circumstances they found themselves in. I find that, that really, really interesting, that they'd lost this battle and they'd gone out searching and looking for a reason to explain the situation that they found themselves in. I'm not sure about you, but I can certainly relate to that. As I, as I shared before, just in the context of holidays, right? I often like to know the reason and to understand what's going on. You know, whether it's in the context of just needing to, to find some kind of justification to feel like the decision that I made was right. And so you're constantly looking for reasons to justify the choice that you've made. Um, and I'm not sure whether it's kind of inbuilt in us. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, kids, when they go through that stage where they're asking why 2,700 times every five minutes, right? And they're, and they're wanting to understand a reason for what's going on. And we have this, this need to search for and look for reasons behind things. And one of the statements that I felt like God dropped into my heart as I was preparing this is that, is that religion is always looking for a reason, but relationship looks for revelation. Religion looks for a reason, but relationship looks for revelation. You see, religion oftentimes feels like perhaps it needs a reason why that person wasn't healed or that thing played out the way that it did. But actually in relationship, we can use that as an opportunity to look for deeper revelation of the power and the comfort and the goodness of God. Religion sometimes needs a reason or is looking for a reason around why this promise has or hasn't come to pass. But relationship looks for revelation and a deeper revelation and understanding of the faithfulness of God in the midst of every circumstance. Religion might need a reason why this relationship didn't work out or why that job didn't play out the way that I thought. But again, relationship is an opportunity to look for deeper revelation of the power and the majesty and the goodness of God, his sovereignty across it all. And I think underneath some of the really harmful theology and perhaps even harmful things that have been taught in churches over the years. In many ways, perhaps it's come out of people who were searching for reasons more than they were looking for revelation. Right? Too often when we're looking for reasons to explain why things have played out a particular way, we end up framing our theology around something that isn't healthy. Instead, we want to be people who are focusing on looking for deeper revelation rather than reasons. Because if we focus on revelation, just as Peter had the revelation of Christ, if we focus on letting the revelation of the word of God frame our theology, then we know that we're continuing to move forward into the goodness and the fullness of all that God has for us, even if we don't understand it all. Right? The reality is we're never going to understand it all. And I think it's important that I'm, I'm not saying here that, that reasons aren't helpful at all, because we want to be people who are discerning and are understanding what's going on. But but ultimately, beyond trying to understand everything, because we're never going to, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, we need to accept that there are going to be times where we need to continually choose revelation ahead of finding a reason. And I feel like God, to be honest, convicted me about this even just last night as I was preparing. You know, we made a number of big decisions last year in selling our house and all those sorts of things. And I feel like 
I'm constantly on real estate, app and whatever else, in many ways still looking for justification around the price that we sold for and the way things played out. When actually God was kind of challenging me saying, you don't need to be looking for reasons and justification. You need to continue to look to me for revelation and allow me to lead you forward. And I've fallen into that trap many times. And I'm just with the nods, I know that many of us perhaps wrestle with a similar sort of thing. But if we want to be people who are letting go of religion, we need to accept that we don't always need a reason. We don't always need a reason and we don't always need to be able to explain it to everyone. Because sometimes when we're following God, we're just walking out in obedience, what we feel like the Holy Spirit has said to us. And if we look for a revelation of the nature and the character of God in those moments when we don't understand, when those moments when it doesn't really make sense, I believe that's what really enables us to be released from the grip of religion. Because we're letting go of the man-made ways, the man-made plans, and we're able to step into a revelation in the relationship that we have with Jesus. So I kind of encourage us that the next time we're faced with a circumstance or a situation where perhaps it doesn't make sense and we don't understand it all, maybe we're in some of those situations right now. Let's be people who seek revelation more than always needing to have a reason. You know, maybe it is simply just stopping in the midst of those circumstances and situations and asking God, what is it about your character? What is it about your nature that I can hold on to here? Rather than needing a a reason to justify the physical circumstance, asking about what it is in terms of God's nature and God's character that we can learn, that we can grow in, in the midst of that situation and circumstance. Because that's what Peter did in Matthew 16, right? Everyone else obviously had different thoughts about who he was based on what he'd been doing, but Peter looked for revelation. And I'm sure he had all sorts of questions and didn't really understand what was going on either, right? Um, It was only a couple of verses later where Peter rebukes Jesus when Jesus was talking about going to the cross and dying. So Peter obviously didn't have the full picture, didn't know what was going on. There was a whole lot of gaps in his theology and, and what he understood. But yet he still was able to grab a hold of revelation despite not understanding it all. Peter didn't need answers or reasons to all of his questions because he held on to revelation. And what's Jesus' response? Blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, effectively saying, blessed are you because you received revelation from the Father. And then I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I think there's a couple of layers of meaning going on here, where, yes, Jesus is saying that Peter will be a rock, he'll be part of the the foundation of the church, one of the founding apostles. But underneath that, I also think that Jesus is saying that his church will be built on the rock of revelation knowledge, right? His, His church will be built on the rock of revelation and that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that's built on the revelation of Jesus, right? Victory doesn't come through reasons. It doesn't come through religion, natural understanding, great planning. It comes through revelation. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that it's through the revelation that Peter got that the church will be built and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And that brings me to my last point this morning, where letting go of religion leading into revelation is we're letting go of the limits that we place around God. We're letting go of our need to always have reasons, but we also need to let go of our man-made plans. 
that last part of 1 Kings 20, 23. The servants of Aram say, Israel's God is a God of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we. And here, But let us fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. They come up with their own plan that they think is going to lead to victory and cause them to win that next battle. That last sentence is them coming up with their own man-made ideas and plans around what's going to lead them to victory. And this happens in our own lives too, doesn't it? That religion and looking for reasons often leads to us coming up with our own plans and ideas on how we think things should play out, how we're going to find our way through circumstances. And just like Israel ended up winning the battle in the plain, just as they won the battle in the hills, no matter how good we think our own plans are, they never lead to the abundant life that God has for us. Right, Proverbs 19.21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. We make all sorts of plans based on the reasons perhaps that we've thought about and we've discovered. But in the end, it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. And I, again, feel like I'm preaching to myself in so many ways throughout this. I've been there many times in my life, trying to come up with a good plan. And perhaps, I don't know, at times I think it's, you know, my self-discipline. I can really give myself to something if I feel like it's the right thing. And so maybe my plan seems to be working for a little while, but inevitably something happens and my own plans start to unravel. Right? You might have self-discipline or your own strength that lasts, I don't know, different personalities. Maybe it only lasts a couple of days. Maybe it lasts many months, perhaps even longer than that. But eventually, if it's our own man-made plans, those things start to come apart. Even just think about, you know, here we are, what is it today, the 22nd of, of January. New Year's resolutions, I feel like most of those are probably man-made plans, right? <laughs> and very few of us, I don't know, if anyone's willing to admit, right, you've probably broken your New Year's resolutions already by the 22nd of January, most people do, right? And what are the stats? I don't know, in the first couple of weeks or something like that. Because without revelation, there is no lasting breakthrough, right? We need the revelation of God for the breakthrough to last. I've certainly been there where I've wrestled with things and you feel like you're going around the same mountain over and over again, because in many cases... It's us trying to find our own reasons and then come up with our own plans to deal with whatever it is that's going on. But it's only through revelation that we find lasting breakthrough because the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, in fact, they do prevail against religion. If we're a church of religion, the gates of Hades will have victory in the end. But the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of revelation. We need to be people of revelation and that's where we find our victory. That's where we find our lasting Breakthrough, And I love God's response at the end of that passage in 1 Kings. Verse 28, a man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. I will give this great army into your hand. It's almost like God is like personally insulted that the Arameans limited him just to being a God of the hills. And he's like, because they said this, I'm going to make sure that Israel wins this battle. And you shall know by experience that I am the Lord. So what happened? They camped opposite each other for seven days. And on the seventh day, the battle began. And the sons of Israel killed 100,000 of the Aramean foot soldiers in a single day. Despite being vastly outnumbered, Israel won that battle. Because God wanted to make sure that everyone there knew that he was bigger. He was more powerful. He was greater than the limitations that had been placed upon him. He was bigger, he was more powerful, he was greater than the reasons the Arameans had come up with in their own head. 
And he was bigger, he was more powerful, he was greater than the plans that they'd come up with in their own strength. And that's the case in our own lives too. God is bigger, God is more powerful, God is greater, God is stronger than our own religious limitations and the boxes that we put him in. He's more powerful, he's greater, he's stronger than, you know, our need for reasons and the way that we try and organise things based on the reasons and the plans that we come up with. And that's my prayer for all of us this year as we, as I pull this thing in for a close, that for all of our lives, as we go down this path of letting go of religion and and leaning into revelation and relationship with Christ, that just as the Israelites there knew by experience that he was the Lord, we too would know by experience the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, the faithfulness of God, that we would know by experience who our God is. Because I do believe that You know, as we continue walking this journey in our own lives, but also for us as a community, that God's going to break many religious limitations. He's going to break those boxes and we're going to experience him in in a deeper and more powerful way than we've experienced him before. As we leave religion behind and move into becoming people of deeper and greater revelation and relationship with Jesus. So letting go of religion leaning into revelation, that we would let go of the limits that we've placed around God. I wonder whether there was anything that came to mind as we were sharing around those things. Letting go of the limits and the boxes that we've put God in. Letting go of our need to always have a reason or a justification because there's some things that we'll just never understand. And lastly, letting go of our man-made plans. And so what I want us to do is just spend some time in worship. And if you feel like there's anything on your heart that you want to pray or declare, by all means, go for it. We're just going to spend a few minutes in worship. And I want to encourage you to to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, perhaps, if there's any limits or boxes that you've put God in that need to be lifted off. Maybe there's situations in your life right now where you're looking for reasons, and maybe it's time to just let that go and just trust in the revelation of who Jesus is. Or maybe there's plans and you need to realize that You know what? I don't need to try and come up with a plan for all of that myself. I just want to grow in my revelation of Jesus and know that through his faithfulness and his word, I will know the next right step to take. 